All right, welcome to another episode of the Michigan State University Work-Life Office Podcast. I'm joined today by two individuals, so we have a special episode that's a little bit more than our usual one-on-one, and that's great because we can hear multiple perspectives from Genevieve Cottrell and Andrew Widner. So I'm going to go around the table and have you tell me a little bit about yourself and also your department and how many people work there and what you all do. Because I got to be honest, the two of you, Genevieve and Andrew, I know very little about what you both do Mm -hmm. and your department. So it's kind of coincidental to have both of you here in my office at once. I'm used to talking to folks that work for, say, the College of Social Sciences, where I got my degree. And uh, I know exactly what building and what floor they're on. Uh, But I have some information written down here on my paper that has me scratching my head as to what's going on where for the Environmental Health and Safety Chemical Safety Department here at Michigan State and also the WK Kellogg Biological Station where Andrew works. So Genevieve, uh, tell me if I'm saying your name correctly and also tell me a little bit about where you work and what you do. Yes, you're saying my name correctly, Genevieve Cottrell, and I work for the Office of Environmental Health and Safety here on campus. Um, The office in total has approximately 40 people, and we manage chemical safety, biological, radiological, occupational, and environmental safety here on campus. So, and not only on campus, um, also in the facilities and um, properties that MSU owns all over the state including Kellogg Biolog- mm-hmm. Biological Station, KBS. So um, it's a big job. MSU has facilities in every single county in the state, and we try and keep on top of, of um, safety and environmental concerns for those locations. Um, our team specifically up here in Giltner Hall, we're the chemical safety team. So we look at chemical safety in research facilities. We have about 2,100 research labs here on campus proper. But we also look at chemical safety in things like the power plant, the water reservoir, the cooling towers. Um, All throughout campus, there are quantities of chemicals that need to be managed in a safe manner and an environmentally uh, responsible manner. So that's what the eight of us do. Good morning. It's Andy Widener. You were close enough on the last name. Um, And I am at the Kellogg Biological Station. That is Michigan State's largest off-campus facility. And probably the easiest way to describe it is it's a a mini campus uh, where a lot of um, research is done out in the fields, um, plant and soil, in water. We have 3,500 acres. We have uh, about 13 faculty that are both at KBS and here on campus. We have housing, we have a conference center, we have a bird sanctuary, we have a large working dairy farm. So there's a lot of moving parts. And my job is to manage the administrative team. So I'm the finance and operations manager. And I have uh, eight direct reports that cut across all of those different units that I mentioned. Also safety, which is uh, where we intersect with Genevieve's world and um, information technology and then the accounting and HR and those types of functions. Well, I'm going to key in on some of the uniqueness of both of your roles. 
And the first thing that comes to my mind is the variety and diversity of the locations and types of employees and staff that you have on your teams. You know, typically on campus, I mentioned social science, you're going to have an office staff that works in Berkey Hall and um, everybody knows each other and sees each other every day. So, Andrew, if you could tell me a little bit about how you lead a team, I'm going to ask you, too, about your direct reports. Mm -hmm. Do they all work in the same office? If yes, if no. Uh, How do you manage to um, motivate a team across the state who you may or may not see on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. Well, we're fortunate that everyone that's on my team works within the same building, and many of them are within the same office. Um, But you hit one of the key words that I try to use all the time when talking about the staff, and that's the team um, mentality. So when we're doing our job well, uh, we're handling all the administrative operational things that can be a distraction, frankly, for the the faculty and PIs who are trying to do research and education work. So um, making sure that the team understands that that is our role and um, takes pride in that, and when we're doing a good job, um, KBS can focus on some of those things that are more um, academic and research-centric. And Genevieve, one of the things that I picked up based on your office and your team is a real high level of responsibility to ensure safety at Michigan State. Uh, my jobs have been uh, somewhat important, somewhat you know important to the people that we serve, but I know that there's flexibility in what I do. Meaning, if I have to cancel a meeting or a session, uh, a building's not going to crumble and fall down. Um, if I have to reschedule a meeting, we'll probably be able to pull it off at a later date at the same at a different time with the, some people that can make it and some can't, and we'll probably still accomplish our objectives. So I have some flexibility built into what I do and what my team does. But I hear what you do, and it makes me think that you're dealing with a real high level of accountability and responsibility on your team. And so I'm going to toss this question at you in a couple different ways, but I'd like you to also think about responding to the negative aspect of responsibility and accountability, and that is when somebody is unable to live up to that. So on my team, if somebody doesn't show up to a meeting on time, like I said, there's some flexibility where we can pick it up the next day. On your team, if somebody makes an error, it's probably a big problem and a big issue. So how do you do you address it in a way that your team responds a- appropriately and course corrects? Because to me, if I had to uh, experience some of the things that you have to deal with, I personally wouldn't probably do a very good job with it. You know, I'd have to say, oh, you really messed this up big time. Uh, we're going to have a problem. So how do you overcome that in a, in a place where there's a high level of responsibility and accountability? Sure. Well, when, when we bring on new employees, they're not immediately thrown into the hot zone of a large chemical or hazmat spill. Uh, We give them time to get oriented. Actually, it takes almost a year for someone to get comfortable with campus, with our operations, 
with the things that we have to do on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. That being said, that year, as we're bringing that person along, we notice their strengths, we notice their interests, we notice the things that they naturally gravitate towards. If you think about something like chemical safety, there's a lot you can look at. You can look at ventilation, you can look at hazmat spills, you can look at chemical storage, you can look at you know um, flammability um, of certain products. So, so it's not just cleaning up spills, it's knowing a lot about a lot of different things. Seeing what people are interested in, see what they gravitate towards and what they like to do, and see how they can fit into that team. Um, and so we give them the confidence, we watch what they do, we like what, you know, we encourage the things that they do well, help them make small course corrections, give them larger and larger projects as their confidence builds. Um, be sure to praise and, um, and help as you go, as they build on those projects so that when they do get to the year, year and a half point, and um, it comes down to uh, you have to make a good decision in five minutes or less, we have confidence in their decision and they have confidence in their decisions to pull off what they need to pull off in that short amount of time. So after you've developed that relationship and built that confidence, you're in a good place with your team. And as Andrew said, there's probably more trust in the team and more cohesion I'm going to dial it back a couple months, say you said a year and a half. I'll say day one, and I'm going to ask Andrew the question about how to build trust with the new employee. Mm -hmm. uh, so Genevieve just talked about her process, but you mentioned teams that your team has great cohesion and is strong and can trust each other. I'm assuming that's built up over time. So how do you find employees hire them, onboard them, and build that trust? Does it take 18 months, uh, or when does the trust come in? Does it come in at day one, week one? Is it a rolling thing? How does that process occur with your team? So my hope is that it starts during the interview process itself. And if we start to pick up on elements of the candidate that we're looking for that we think would fit onto the team, and there's a good... Um, two-way communication, that's a good sign. So, you know, hiring the right people at the outset. One of the very first conversations that we have, if not in the interview, but um, once they get into the office and start to onboard, is it's a very simple approach of I tell them the three keys to success. And it's pretty simple. It's work hard, have a good attitude, and be flexible. And they're pretty basic things, but for the most part, besides technical type work we, we work with Genevieve on some areas that are that are a little bit more technical um, and we re rely on groups like that to provide us information but for the most part if I have somebody that will join the team and have those three attributes and and see that we also try to practice those same attributes um, I think that that's a good way to start and we, we have I have an open door uh, policy with my staff I encourage their feedback on topics. I encourage them to professionally push back if they have things that they disagree with. I tell them that that does not mean that I will always do what they say, but I encourage them to at least feel comfortable enough to give me their two cents on whatever the topic may be. Because a lot of times they're closer to whatever the topic is, and that perspective helps. As a manager, sometimes you, you still may have to make a decision where, where one person is going to be unhappy and one person is going to be happy, but that's, that's kind of the way it works. I like your three-point system because I've 
recorded a couple episodes of the podcast, and mm. I think the last person had a four-point system, so I couldn't remember all four. Maybe I can remember we three. Go. Yeah, right? I'll make it easy for you. <laughs> well, hopefully, because I wrote them down, and I don't know if I got the third one correct. Mm. Maybe I need a two-point system myself. But I heard you mention flexibility, <clears throat> and we have... Uh, some something here at the work life office uh, that we support, and that is flexible scheduling arrangements. Mm-hmm. Now we don't uh, say that across the campus all uh, employees uh, are entitled to flexible schedules. You know, we realize that every situation is different. So I'm not saying that we are promoting flexible schedules. Uh, the same for everybody across campus, but we do encourage individuals where it's appropriate to communicate with their supervisor to develop a flexible schedule arrangement mm-hmm. uh, that is an agreement between the supervisor and the direct report uh, so that there are no uh, questions that come up you know, down the road in the future. It's pretty uh, clear and spelled out from the agreement where the boundaries and limitations of the flexible scheduling lie. So can you tell me, uh, Andrew, on your team, if you've developed flexible scheduling arrangements, if yes, if no, why? And also, have they worked out well for you or don't they work well on your team? Mm-hmm. We we have done some flexible work arrangements, and primarily where that comes into play is it, is if a person has a day of tasks, that will just be better suited to be somewhere where they're not being interrupted and they can do it through their laptop or, or whatever they're, they're working on. Um, those situations, are, I find it for myself too. Like I have maybe a half day a week where I stay home, I drink my coffee, and I get through three times as much email as I do when I'm in the office because there's constant interruptions. And the interruptions aren't negatives, it's just the reality of being in an office with a lot of moving parts. So we are encouraging our staff to when they have days where they're approving a long list of payroll or if they're doing orders for IT supplies, or these are just some of the examples. Uh, It doesn't apply to everyone because not everyone has days that they can consolidate those tasks. But for those that it does, um, we, we encourage them to stay home, make sure the work is done. And then my measuring stick is, did the work get done? Was it disruptive to the rest of the office? And, and we try to, before that happens, to make sure that we have coverage in the office. And, and we have a, a, a team that knows that if, if, if I cover for you this day, well, maybe in two weeks, you can cover for me and so on. So they understand that. And, and I'm fortunate to have a team that's good enough that they can have that professional latitude. Yeah, I have a, a, a number of folks on our team do flexible scheduling. It has been great. Um, having... Having safety people on campus at different times of the day is really beneficial for the university. We've always got somebody here, whether somebody's coming in early and leaving early, staying late, flexing their hours. It's good for the university. It's good for morale. It really makes people feel like you're you're invested in, in not just their work life, but their life in general. The university offers it. It's no... You know, it's nothing out of my payroll. It's nothing out of my budget. It's a very easy thing to offer employees to make them feel invested in the university. So we use it. We use it a lot. We've been very successful with it. In terms of making sure we have coverage, that really is an issue for us because we have to be ready on a moment's notice to be at a chemical spill or a fire incident. So we do have to have that coverage. The balance comes 
with letting folks on the team schedule their own day, have their own meetings, go where they need to go, not be breathing down their necks. But having that expectation, because we carry um, police and fire radios, when I radio them, the only time I radio them is when I need them. So to not keep burdening them with, could you tell me where the pencils are? Can somebody tell me what time the coffee break is? If you hear the radio go off, that means you need to respond and to respect their workspace like that. When you need them, they're there. Otherwise, give them their space. Check in once a week, like you said. Are these projects getting done? Yes. Then you need to do your thing as you see best. And it's really important to understand where your staff members are at because you mentioned that you're seeing things a little bit through their eyes, even in terms of how you uh, write an email. So you don't want to write an email that says, where are the pencils? Because you know that the recipient is at a level of urgency um, that is a little bit higher than finding the pencils. So it's really a good that I heard in your response that you are seeing things or trying to do your best to uh, see things through your staff members' perspective. And I've asked other folks on this podcast how to accomplish that. And what I've heard is listen and ask them. So when you listen and ask to your staff and your team, you'll understand their perspective a little bit better. Now I'm going to key in on the second thing that I heard from Andrew and his three-point system, Mm -hmm. and that was hard work or work hard. And I'm going to ask Genevieve, uh, whose team members are sometimes at a high level of uh, urgency, how to mitigate stress and the feeling of being overburdened at work. And that's that balance. I heard balance uh, in your uh, last answer about we have a lot of work to do here at Michigan State. I have a lot of emails to respond to and a lot of tasks during the day. But we know that some of the reasons people get a little bit uncomfortable at work and even leave the university is for feelings of high stress and overburdened levels of work. So how do you accomplish with your team uh, at least lessening the perception that um, the work level is unbearable and the stress levels too high? Well, we do have a stressful job sometimes. It can be um, incredibly intense, especially when you have a lot of people looking to you to make sure that people, animals, property, and environment are protected. So it comes with part of the job. That part is accepted. But one of the things that I try to share with the team is my own struggle my own struggle with stress, my own struggle with being overburdened with work, to be honest about that. When I'm feeling frustrated to say, I'm really frustrated today, or I'm overwhelmed today, or I'm going to go see my shrink this afternoon. (laughs) Um, Not to burden them with it, but to let them know it's something that's okay to talk about, that um, to keep those lines of communication open, I ask them directly, have I given you too much work? Is this too much? Do you need to take a day off? Or how about if you go for a walk? But try and be really honest about it instead of everything sunshine and rainbows all of the time and we're all managing and if you could just, you know, meditate a little bit, you would be fine. Say, yeah, sometimes this job is really hard. And be an example for the things that you need to do to take care of yourself, particularly in a job like this, so that it doesn't consume you. 
Genevieve makes some great points about being honest. I think that that gives you credibility because we, we all get stressed out, I, and I, I'm honest with my staff, and I expect the same from them. And um, I really try to encourage them to take time off and, and get the breaks when and where they can. One of the things that we've tried to do that doesn't always work, but it helps sometimes, is we have a fair amount of cross-training amongst our team. And if we see the proverbial pile of work on one person's desk much higher than the person next to them, we try to even it out some. And, um, and if, it, if the pile is high for everybody, um, then we just roll up the sleeves. And sometimes I can jump in and help and, and vice versa. And that comes back to the team uh, approach to things. So uh, we, we encourage people to speak up. And um, and one of the things that I think is really important is when it's like that, when you when you cross stuff off the list, to really celebrate the wins, because otherwise you just feel like a mouse in a wheel and it doesn't really matter. So, um, you know, be honest about the challenges that you're in, celebrate the wins, and um, and try to kind of one thing that you you can't do everything at once. And so one thing that I try to do as a manager, and sometimes my manager has to do it for me, is say what is the priority and start with that and we'll worry about the rest later and and sometimes just kind of that compartmentalization helps a little bit it doesn't make the other work go away but it makes it clear that you don't have to do all five things right now yeah and i've i've been hearing through your responses to some great practical um, ideas and tips for other supervisors to utilize across campus, you know, encouraging your team members to take leaves if that is something that might be helpful to them, uh, being open and honest, and asking directly to your staff members if they have uh, any needs or they're in a circumstance where a resource could be useful to them. Uh, and Genevieve, something you said reminded me of um, how open I am about my utilization of employee assistance program. Uh, I am a happy customer of EAP, and I've said that this at numerous podcasts, and I encourage uh, everyone across campus to utilize that resource, which is literally across the hall in this building, uh, when needed. Uh, so EAP helps with a variety of circumstances. I'm not going to go into a longer commercial about EAP. Um, but I'm going to ask you, um, Andrew, let's start with you, and then we'll go to Genevieve. Two questions. You can take this question either way you want. Sure. Um, number one, EAP is an example of a resource that mm-hmm. an employee could get. Uh, are there any other resources, either on campus or off campus, that you refer to on a regular basis or that you find very valuable to assist uh, your your staff members? And also, if, if you uh, get done with your resource list and you want to continue with this mm-hmm. question... How do you connect your team members to other Spartans or people in the community and build community connections? Mm -hmm. So the question is twofold. How do you connect your team with resources? And also, how do you connect your team with other human beings Mm -hmm. uh, when that is, in fact, a great resource uh, for connection for them? So I'll start with the the resources for campus. So for us being off of campus, it's a little bit of a different story, but but there are many different um, 
resource opportunities, and we try to make sure that people are aware of them, especially if we're picking up on a situation where maybe something is more relevant than it would normally be, uh, and, and sometimes we can have conversations with people. We've, we've had some good success in the last six to 12 months. There's two or three examples of where I know of staff members have taken advantage of some of those resources, and it has helped them get to where they need to be professionally and personally. So, um, so, so even though we're not on campus, it's still a benefit. And then the second piece of that, as far as just general resources and community connections, one of the things that I've really been grateful for is uh, the director of the biological station, who's my manager, has really encouraged me to participate into some Kalamazoo, we're right outside Kalamazoo, uh, Kalamazoo community like boards and organizations. I came from the banking industry and I had a few of those connections and I've been able to maintain and grow those connections. And they aren't just personal. We, we, they cut across some of our business at the bio station and they're, they're public focused. And so, so I have, have been able to, because of, of the leeway, build a decent network of people in a lot of different areas. And then I try to then turn around and um, connect people when appropriate uh, to some of the people that I know. And, and it's nice to see we have people at KBS. Some, it doesn't take very long for someone who wants to do some like, something like that to show themselves. They're really engaged. They're always putting their hand up. They're, they're jumping in on things. And it's really fun for me to try to help foster some of those relationships and watch those people take off. Yeah, resources at MSU, we uh, have had folks on the team who have used employee assistance who routinely contact HR for guidance, and also we're fortunate on our team to have a person who's a union steward. So they are a great resource, and they're very willing to share their information, not just with the team, but with me as well, to help me become a better supervisor. Jared, his name is Jared Anders, and he's done a fantastic job in helping me learn more about about our uh, union rights and responsibilities for for um, the employees on the team and, and for myself as well. We also use resources that you might not think of as hard resources, but things that happen here at MSU that are a lot of fun, that we can take time out in the day. We do garden walks. We go to the planetarium. Uh, we participate in the a uh, lot of the lunchtime activities that they have around here as a, as a team-building effort, but to remember that MSU is a place that's that's beautiful and it's fun and it has more to offer than just a paycheck and camaraderie. So, yeah, that's, those are some of the things that we do here at MSU to, to keep connected to the, to the university. I agree, and I, uh, I enjoy garden walks myself. And uh, I was thinking about uh, Kalamazoo, too, Andrew, that I mm -hmm. used to live there. That's where oh, okay. I went to undergrad. Nice. And my favorite resource there are sweet water donuts. Yeah. I still rely on Sweetwater Donuts. <laughs> They're still a good resource. Yeah, there's a colleague I have up at MSU Flint uh, that's from the Kalamazoo area, and we uh, we compare donuts, you know, mm -hmm. by region. So it's a r real hearty discussion. Uh, we should probably do more garden walks to burn those donut right. calories. Um, but uh, so, I, you know. MSU, I agree, is a great place. It's a beautiful place, and it's a fun place. And I know that because I'm from Lansing, okay? And I know Kalamazoo is fun and great because mm -hmm. I went to Western, right. and I had a lot of fun there myself. And I know Flint's great because I live there. How do we, or how have you, uh, over the course of your time in your position and with your team, uh, welcomed 
folks that are not from this area and introduce them either to Kalamazoo or East Lansing. Uh, so the topic we're, we I'd like to talk about right now is relocation and mm-hmm. staff members who are relocating to Michigan from elsewhere, could either be another state or international. Um, how do you welcome them to your team and to your community? So we don't have a, a lot of relocation work in the administrative area, but, but there are a fair amount with faculty and PIs. But the few times that we have done it, I think it's really important to make a person-to-person connection before they start to get buried with all the the, the, the required and important MSU information. Um, but but make them understand that that you're going to be working with real people on a real team that has some of the same personal, real family life challenges. And my personal approach for stuff like that is to have coffee or go to lunch or grab a beer or something that is um, casual and not like you just hit the ground running immediately in work mode. So my preference is to have one or two conversations that are just um, get-to-know-you conversations and maybe not even the pure work environment. So they kind of settle in a little bit, and then and then you can start to layer on some of those other things. Yeah, I'm very fortunate to have benefited from a, a terrific onboarding program that our office manager, Lindsay Brownlee, initiated. She saw the need where we would bring people in, dump them into a cubicle, and say, get to work. You know, and they wouldn't know, you know, anybody's name. They wouldn't, you know, MSU is this huge place. How do you get around? She saw that need, and she developed a great onboarding program, which involves not only getting to know the team members you'll be working with, but people on the other teams, on the uh, biological safety team, on the radiation safety team, taking them to lunch, touring them around campus, um, helping them get their safety uh, their safety shoes and jackets. Um, and not just in that first week, but really she took that program to be over several months. So, And also to assign that person um, a, a sponsor or a mentor. So someone who's not from the team, not from their direct team, who can help them navigate things like, how do I get to this HR website or where's the best pizza in town? And if, they ha- if they're having issues with their supervisor or anybody on their team, that's somebody that they can talk to independently on a, on a more casual basis to get a lay of the land. So I've been really fortunate that Lindsay's work has really helped us help bring new people in and get them situated. That's great to hear. And it also reminds me of a topic that I've been talking to folks recently about um, that is a little less fun to discuss, but probably just as important as onboarding, and it even rhymes, and it is offboarding. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you both have great onboarding you know, programs, and you're welcoming to folks who join the team. But Genevieve, how is your offboarding process and um, exit interviews? Do you do them? Do you refer them to central HR are they even important? Do you find value in offboarding information? In other words, why people leave MSU or transfer away from your team? So that's just a broad question about how you approach the concept when somebody wants to leave the team. How do you do that? When we've had folks leave our team and 
really in the past several years, it's only been one. I would say it didn't come as a surprise. So, which could be good or bad, but I see that as a positive, meaning we were in communication with them. We knew that they wanted more. We knew that they wanted something different. We offered what we could here, but it was not it was not a surprise or a kick in the pants when they said, I think I can find what I'm looking for somewhere else. So that's the good news. Um, of course, it's always sad when people leave. You invest a lot of time and energy and you build this personal relationship. So you, know, you, you wish them well, but you also want to learn from the experience. So we do an exit interview and actually the person who leaves has an opportunity to do an exit interview with my supervisor and the one above them. So if it's if it's the supervisor, the direct report supervisor they're having a problem with, they can go above that and above that and beyond so that they have an opportunity to let their um, to let their voice be heard. But in our case, we it, it, it didn't come as a surprise, and I count that as, as I, I wish MSU could have been the place where they could have stayed, but sometimes people's career direction takes them farther, and I feel glad that we could be a part of their growth and a part of where they went next. Yeah, I would say we had we've had some similar situations where um, you only have so many resources, and you you wish that you could do more, but because of budgetary constraints, um, it just can't happen. And we've talked a lot about transparency and open communication. So a few times where that has happened, um, it was not a surprise, and we wished that we could do more. Um, there, but on the other side of that, there there are times. Where, where we know that that is the case, and they are people with a lot of upside. And I've had conversations with staff that I know we probably can't take care of them within our department, but there probably are other opportunities on campus. And even though I don't want to lose good people, you're going to lose them anyway if, if they're truly good and they're trying to aspire. So I've been really honest with them that, that you may have moved as far as you can move in our current structure, and um, but you're, you're a good, solid employee with a lot of potential. You may want to explore some other opportunities because I think that that's you know, doing right by your staff. It sounds like you both have systems in place for growth and development of your employees and try to present opportunities that occur both in MSU and outside. And so there is a place where your team can flourish, either here on campus or elsewhere. And I really appreciate that, and I think that's great for your team. So I'll ask you also about yourselves. Mm -hmm. How do you develop and grow and pursue opportunities professionally for yourself especially who do you go to for direction or mentorship? You've both mentioned uh, who you report to, your supervisor. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's a great relationship and that's the mentor, but sometimes it's a working relationship, which is still good. Um, but your mentor is elsewhere, uh, not at Michigan State. Uh, but who do you go to for advice, information, guidance, or mentorship that helps you uh, become and uh, operate as an outstanding supervisor. Genevieve, we'll start with you. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of people here at MSU that I really look up to who do a fantastic job and who I want to emulate. Um, Sue Alchin from IPF, Stacy Nuremberg from IPF. Um, a big mentor for me has been um, Penny Fisher, who is now assistant chief with the MSU Police Department. She is an amazing, accomplished person. 
um, has done so much here at the university and elsewhere. Um, she um, developed um, the EMAP program, which is uh, getting the university accredited for emergency management. And over the course of a year and a half, she did something that hadn't been done elsewhere on the camp and on any other campus, which was make a Big Ten University EMAP accredited. Through that process, I was invited into the process and watching her um, conduct meetings, get uh, assigned uh, tasks to people, motivating people, um, became a real learning experience for me, and I wanted to grow on that. And so uh, with her encouragement, I went and obtained my professional emergency manager certificate with her encouragement. But Every day, whether I'm in a difficult meeting or I'm in a tough spot or I have to think deliberately and thoughtfully about what I'm going to say, um, she serves as an example for that. And I've been extraordinarily lucky to have her as a role model here at MSU. Yeah, a couple different people come to mind. Dr. Kay Gross, who's the retired director at the bio station who hired me, she had been there for 13 or 14 years and through experience, um, you see, hear, and learn a lot of things, and she was she was she was very direct and candid. But that's kind of how I am too. So I learned a lot from her. Um, if if I got into topics that were maybe a little broader um, within the university, Chris Hines was a person in HR in the Ag and Natural Resources for many years. She just retired. And I think Chris wished that I did not have her phone number or email, <laughs> but I reached out to her millions of times, and she was a big help. It's great to hear. And I also heard a lot of uh, women leaders uh, uh, conveyed here on this podcast, a, a long list. And earlier in the podcast, I heard about the importance of networking. So I wanted to put those two things together and remind everyone that through the Work-Life Office, we support and co-sponsor the Women's Networking Association, which is a very strong group. I know that their events regularly uh, host over 100 individuals. Uh, we have one coming up either today or tomorrow. Uh, so always be looking for the Women's Networking Association listserv and events. So that's really great to hear uh, a lot of women leaders here at Michigan State who have wonderful experience to share with other supervisors on how to be outstanding. That's fascinating and great. Wonderful to hear. And also, it's not a surprise because I know and have worked with a lot of wonderful leaders here at Michigan State. So it's not a surprise to me, and uh, that's wonderful to be reminded about that. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing, this is me setting up myself for a segue, too, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's not a surprise. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to be really good with my segues. One thing that was a surprise, though, was your Outstanding Supervisor Award mm -hmm. when you received it. I didn't write down the years that both of you won it individually, right. but I've been asking everyone uh, who joins me on this podcast to revisit and remember the time when you received the Outstanding Supervisor Award, both the celebration, uh, as I think it was Andrew said, celebrate the wins mm -hmm. on your team. That's always great and shows appreciation for the hard work that we do. So talk about the celebration, Andrew, but also is there anything else that you remember about receiving the award that stands out to you? So, yeah, well, it was a wonderful surprise, and that's, that's probably the part that I would bring up because it was a 
uh, a ruse at the bio station that we were having a town hall meeting and I was getting ready to present numbers, which always bores the pants off of everyone. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I saw that my parents were in the hallway and I thought, what are my parents doing here? So it was quite an honor. Um, I, uh, I was lucky enough to receive the award last year. Um, what led to it? Um, we had a team member who worked for environmental health and safety for many years, almost 20 years. His name is Ron Fritz. And uh, the previous December, he was diagnosed with acute leukemia and became very sick very quickly. Um, he didn't have a lot of support network here um, in Michigan. His daughter lived in Arizona, and his wife had passed away. And so uh, so my team members took a lot of time with him that year to take him to doctor's appointments, make sure he was fed and cared for, um, sat with him when he was at the hospital, um, generally tried to do what we could during that year as his disease progressed very rapidly. So unfortunately, he lost his fight with leukemia in October. But in the meantime, he managed to wrangle another person into initiating the Outstanding Supervisor Award during that time as a thank you. And... uh, The presentation for the award happened uh, the day after Ron passed away. So it was was a very emotional event and um, one that I will never forget. I'm truly touched by it. Well, I appreciate that story. As a new employee here at the work-life office, I didn't know that, and I had heard that these were special ceremonies, and I would see photos of folks holding up the banner and lots of cake. But I don't know a lot about the specific stories and what's all behind it. So I really appreciate that. It informs me and it reminds me too, as we wrap up this interview, that supervisors are supervising human beings with lives and families and histories and struggles and circumstances. And so if we continue if not continue, but if we were to treat supervision as a business transaction on the day-to-day and remove the human element, we would be awful supervisors. But if we continue to focus on the fact that we are a cohesive team here of MSU Spartans that are human beings, and in the case of public safety, sometimes about a dozen canines, Mm -hmm. uh, if we uh, are cohesive Uh, a group of human beings and we remember uh, that we're just people and we all work together towards a common goal and a shared purpose, I think that is going to result in the best outcome. It sounds like, Genevieve, that's how your team operates and Andrew, I would expect nothing different from your team. So are there any final thoughts as we depart here? I haven't asked that question to other folks. I Mm -hmm. just assumed we were kind of out of things to say, but uh, Andrew, anything uh, left for the good of the order? Well, one thing that we chatted about before we got uh, talking here was if you do a really good job of hiring people on the front end, that makes it a lot easier to be a good supervisor. So um, being really diligent with your 
process in your screening and we try to have multiple people involved within the interview so you can uh, match against different personality types and uh, it doesn't always work but um, being really thoughtful on the front end of hiring may help you on the back end of managing. Yeah, absolutely. And a diverse set of interviewers is critical because if you get a lot of the same people, you're going to hire someone who is just based on a, like a monolithic mm-hmm. um, thing. So um, it's, a, it's incredibly important to have a diverse team of interviewers. Genevieve, do you have anything further for the good of the order or do you have any questions for each other that you want to ask yeah i would i would i would echo your sentiment andrew that that hiring the right people sets you up for success and when we do interviews it's a group process as well like you like you are doing but we ask a lot of questions about Judgment. We ask a lot of questions about ethics. We ask a lot of questions that our, our motto is, is that we can teach anybody what we need them to learn. But if they're good decision makers, if, they're, if they behave in ethical ways, if they make good decisions and how they communicate with other people, that's the thing that is much more difficult to teach. And if you can hire that in mm-hmm. and then work in building the, those harder skills, then you're setting yourself up for success. And also to make sure, like you said, hire with a, with a group of people so that the pre- people that you're bringing in mesh with everybody else. And you have a good mix of personalities. And it's not just all people who are serious or all people who are not serious enough. Or you have a good mix of people so that no matter what the situation brings you in the day, you've got somebody who can tackle that challenge for you. Well, Genevieve Cottrell, thank you very much for your comments and perspective. Andrew Widener, thank you for coming in uh, from Kalamazoo and joining us. This has been a fantastic, enlightening interview for me, and I hope that all of our listeners get the same value out of this podcast as I have received. And I really appreciate you both, uh, both for this podcast interview and also the work that you do at Michigan State, my alma mater. I love the fact that we have some great people here And I hope that the listeners have picked up some useful tips and pointers from Andrew Widener and Genevieve Cottrell. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Michigan State University Work Life Podcast.